You're listening to an Anderson Entertainment production. This episode, we've got an investigative fact. We're on the hunt for a deadly virus in the randomizer. And author John Kenneth Muir joins us for one last eagle flight. That's all coming up in pod 190. Of the Jerry Anderson podcast. Let me do sound effects, Richard. Let's get started. Let's go. Spectrum is green. The Jerry Anderson Podcast with Jamie Anderson and Richard James. I have well, well done, a, a, you. No, what, no, no, no. Well done, you. For what? You're patronising Git. Investigative. <laughs> yes, thank you. That was tough. I mean, well done. Investigative is hard. But I, I have a more pressing question, which is, do you say zero or O when you're saying numbers? Because I often find myself reading a phone number and leading yeah. with O, and then if I yes. find further O's in it, I'll say zero for some reason. Not always. Yes, that's... Fun, isn't it? Yeah. So is this one nine zero one nine zero? Well, this would be one nine zero, I think. Do you? If it or it could be o one nine zero, couldn't it? <laughs> or zero one nine zero. I don't anyway, know. I zero, just don't know. my goodness. Uh, this is we've gone off piece here. So uh, <laughs> anyway, look, I'm Jamie Anderson, and the man in favour of everything being uh, zeroed is. Well, I'm Richard N. James, as they call me on Twitter. Excellent. And, and oh, my goodness, over there. Over strangely, there. working oh. at a blackboard, writing out a yes. long series of zeros and ones, yes. ah. uh, is Chris Dale, also known as the Randomizer. That's him. It, clearly, he's doing something in binary. Yeah. I don't yet know what it is. Can you tell? I mean... Well, I mean, I could take it or leave it. <laughs> Yeah, do you see? That's your binary you know, choice binary. there. That's yeah. right, yeah. You know, yes Ooh. or no. Anyway, people yeah. come here for the Jerry Andersoners and they stay for the gags and then they hear one and immediately <laughs> leave. So uh, they leave, yes. if you've managed to stay, Podstron, uh, thank you. Please continue to stay. We've got some Jerry Anderson stuff coming up for you. Uh, Richard, Richard will summarise all of those Jerry Anderson things now. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, Well, a little later on, we've got the third part of Ben Page's interview with uh, John Kenneth Muir, author extraordinaire. Mm. Uh, We've got Chris Dale's Randomizer a little later on. We've got some newsy news, 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 of course, because there's always something happening in the Jerry Anderson universe. Correct. Uh, We've got uh, emails, tweets and Facebook posts from our wonderful Podstrons. That's you, dear listener. And uh, no doubt, coming up very shortly, Fab Facts. Uh, you're absolutely right. Fab facts mm. will be inserted very shortly. Right, great. Uh, <laughs> no, really. <laughs> Do you want to sound a bit more? Well, I mean, I thought we'd agreed that you actually like this now. Uh, well, that's going a bit far, I think. Tolerate, I think, is the word. <sighs> Thanks, Richard. Well, maybe I might be able to change your mind this week. I've, I've got a good feeling oh. about today's fab fact. So okay. shall, we, shall we go straight into it and I'll try my best to wow you? Good luck. <laughs> okay, here we go. Heading for a wow. <laughs> now, time for this week's fab facts. 
Whether you're here for the first time or the last time, this is Fab Facts, where I've got a book of Fab Facts, I flick through the book, Richard shouts Fab at a random point to stop me flicking through the book, and then we have, well, it's a Fab Fact, pretty much, hopefully. Is everything clear with you there, Richard James? Yeah, pretty much. Good. Uh, it's all quite clear with me, obviously, because I just said it all. Uh, so mm-hmm. here we go with the flicking. Fab! Oh, are you... What? You've arrived what? in... In slightly awkward grounds here, I would say. Oh, not again. I'm always doing that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Always loitering with intent. (laughs) Um, Well, let me tell you that this concerns a one-off. Oh, yes. And it's not you. Uh, Right. A one-off with a running time of 23 minutes, approximately. Okay. Interesting. Can you tell what that is from 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 that little clue alone? Well, a one-off, so it's a pilot for something, is it? Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, It's a pilot from 1973. Does that help? Oh, not really. No, I was only four. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't have seen it anyway because it was never screened. The pilot we're talking about is the Investigator. Oh, right. Now, yes, yes, you may not know about the Investigator Postron. Maybe you do. If you do, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, if you don't, you're about to, and uh, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, now, early in 1973, as things were wrapping up on the Protectors, uh, and they were making preparations for a possible second series of UFO, which was never to be, mm-hmm. Dad and Sylvia decided they would make another pilot episode for a supermarination programme. Uh, and they were hoping to eventually show that to their friend and colleague, George Heinemann, who was the vice president of a special children's programming for NBC in America. Uh-huh. And they were obviously hoping that he would commission a full series of this wonderful yeah, new show. Yeah. Now, they decided yeah. to, to continue their route at going down the hybrid nature of the Secret Service with puppets mm. and real people and real settings. Mm. It was privately financed. It was all shot in Malta. I think really it was an excuse for a glorified holiday. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. And from the word go, the uh, pilot was beset with problems. Uh, Inclement weather, unpredictable issues with the radio-controlled model car that was driven by the puppet characters. Um, Right. And in fact, Dad was so uh, so unhappy. I was going to say so happy then. (laughs) Delighted. So unhappy with the thing. He never actually screened it to NBC or anyone else. And the project was abandoned. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I know. It's it's so sad. But it's, yeah. it, you can contrast that with the fact that uh, Dinky Toys was so full of faith and hope based on the yeah. commercial success of all the previous Anderson shows that they immediately jumped on the opportunity to produce vehicles based on The Investigator. Okay. It was literally the moment they heard about the project. Yep, yep, we'll back you on this one. Great, we'll do it. Um, right. So with a line of highly successful die-cast toys that were, were based on main vehicles from Thunderbirds, Scarlet, uh, Joe 90, etc., even the Secret Service mm-hmm. uh, and UFO, mm-hmm. Dinky eagerly set to work preparing to launch toys based on Reg Hill's designs for the investigator car and boat. Yeah. Uh, the prototypes and the, uh, the dies and all that sort of thing cost thousands and thousands of pounds so they could be ready for the prototypes. Dinky were then obviously understandably disappointed when the expected Mm. series didn't materialise and wasn't even shown or pitched and they were told it was abandoned. Um, So they'd spent all that money, so they decided to release the toys anyway. (laughs) However, not under the title of The Investigator because... Well, that would be totally meaningless, well, wouldn't it? What would that mean? Yes, exactly. So 
Instead, in green livery with military-style decals, the car was issued in 1975 as an armoured command car designed by Gerry Anderson, uh, right. while the boat was eventually launched in 1977 as a Coast Guard amphibious missile launcher, with no reference whatsoever <laughs> to its connection to the abandoned oh, Anderson project. Oh, dear. Well, well. What so, a shame. There you are. Gosh. Uh, what what a shame! What an you know all the people that put effort into that. I mean, the, you know, the crew consisted of a lot of people you would you would already know from those days. Uh, yeah. Obviously, Dad, Reg Hill, um, Harry yeah. Oakes, the cameraman, uh, David yeah. Lane and Len Walter were editing. John and Wanda Brown on the puppets. Uh, you know, models built by Space Models again. So, you know, great pedigree. Well, but yeah. but I mean, have you, have you actually seen it? Uh, I think I might have done, yes. I, mean, I tried to erase it from my mind. Haven't but we? There's something in there. <laughs> haven't we Just, all? Yes, yes. Uh, mm. Now, if you want to know more about this, then I can recommend you go onto our YouTube channel and search for Jerry Anderson Primers, and in there is a primer all about the investigator, giving you more information all about the, um, well, the total disaster of a pilot show that it was. Oh. Um, but it's got some familiar things in there. Peter Dinelly's voice as the the, oh. the titular investigator, yes, the, uh, the alien. Right. Yes. Um, so you know, there's something you'll know. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Shane Shane Rimmer voices, uh, Sylvia voices Gosh. in it. Uh, Sylvia mm. wrote the script. So yeah, right. you, you might have expected well, it a little better, but uh, well, the thing oh. is, no one wants to make a flop, do they? That's you know, that's the thing. I'm sure they applied themselves, committed themselves, of and course. wanted to do a good job and make something wonderful. And sometimes that just doesn't happen, does it? And it definitely did not happen here. So. Uh, yes. There you go. If you want to watch The Investigator in full, you can check out The Lost Worlds of Jerry Anderson DVD set. It's also streaming in, I think, the US and uh, the UK on Amazon. Uh, so mm-hmm. go and enjoy yourself there. Or maybe you won't enjoy yourself, but it's only 23 <laughs> yeah. minutes, so it's yeah. not a huge time commitment, and it's kind of funny and quirky <laughs> and weird. So enjoy that. There you go. Um, nice. un- unexpected. But uh, that, I think, brings us to the end of this week's Dinky facts. Oh, you were dinky. Well, <laughs> I hesitated one, because one I'm strand out of a, a rather interesting story. I what thought were you going to go for? You were going to yeah. go investigative fact. <laughs> yeah, that investigative fact. Yeah. Why didn't I think of no, that? No, no, I was very happy with, with you, dinky. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you well, do carry on. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no. <laughs> Yes, uh, you're listening to the Jerry Anderson podcast. It's pod number 190. <laughs> one nine zero. So many. Uh, now, I've been talking to the Podstrons. Have you? Yes. Mm, uh, and next week, I'm going to be uh, letting you know what they've enjoyed most from the last 190 podcasts, their favourite interviews, their favourite randomizers, mm. and also what they'd like to see from our forthcoming 200th episode. Uh, now, do let me know if there's still time. Uh, just drop us a line, podcast at jerryanderson.com. Let us know what you might, in an ideal world, I'm not saying it's going to happen, what you might like to see for our 200th podcast. I mean, we've got to do something, haven't we? I mean, if we don't, it'll be a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, so let us know. We've still got a few weeks to go, so a little bit of time to think about it. But uh, in the meantime, we have had some emails to podcast at jerryanderson.com. Dot com. For example, Caleb says, Hi, podcast people. Uh, we're called Podstrons, but what are the hosts called, he says. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't Careful. know. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. He said, I thought I'd share how I listened to the podcast. Firstly, I'm probably your youngest listener. I'm 15 years old and I love Thunderbirds. Oh, I often awesome. wake up really early at 4am and can't get back to sleep. So, as a fallback, 
I listen to your podcast. Oh, well, that's nice. A cure for um, insomnia, the Jerry Anderson <laughs> podcast. <laughs> he says, I love the introduction music, and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that I listen to the news, but I never buy anything, unfortunately, because I'm saving for a cyber truck. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. He says, one of my favourite sections has to be Fab Facts. Excellent. We love listeners like this. You're a top well, poster I mean, on. He did say he's not been getting much sleep, so I can only blame him on that. He says, it's so interesting hearing random, fun, fab facts. My overall favourite fact was from a while ago. The fact was about Thunderbirds vehicles in a Star Trek comic. Um, I will admit that I do skip the main segment. Even at 4am, I'm lazy. Sorry, I like the randomizer, but I haven't seen any Thunderbirds in there yet. He says, it could just be me managing to miss them. Yeah, I, mean, I think you have to. We had one last some. week or the week before, I think. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any other shows other than Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet, so I often don't quite know what's going on. But <laughs> you're, you're the only out, one. <laughs> yeah. Caleb says, I've worked out that there is a show about called Terror Hawks yes. and a bunch of live action space ones and a, and a supercar one. Uh, I probably should Google it, but once again, I'm lazy. lazy. He says, um, in, in passing, overall, I enjoy the podcast and encourage you to keep going. Oh, well, thank you for your encouragement. <laughs> Overall, I'd say that's quite a good Overall, review. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we had one from James as well. He says, hi, team. Sorry, uh, I was a bit late listening to the podcast calendar-wise, he says. Why not an advent calendar? Food for thought, <laughs> all the best from James. Be nice, isn't it? We have looked into an advent calendar, actually, but it's, ah. they're surprisingly expensive to uh, to originate, to do all the really? sort of design for and get everything. Otherwise, you just end up putting a, a card sleeve over random Christmas chocolates and that doesn't seem very Anderson to me I feel Mm. like they should be chocolates that are you know Thunderbird vehicles and that kind of thing so crikey that'd be lovely see it's definitely on the list but we haven't managed to find find a way to do it quite yet now we've been talking over recent weeks about Hannah's uh, exploration of Terror Hawks you might remember and she's sent us another update saying hi Jamie and Richard it took me a long time but I finally decided to watch all three seasons of Terror Hawks for me it was like stepping into the unknown world of Anderson, as I have never seen or heard the show growing up. I didn't know what the results would be. I loved the music, the special effects, and the vehicles were fantastic. What a design. The first few episodes I had no problem with, but the real show stealers for me were the Zeroids. Yes. I love Windsor Davis. He always makes me laugh. He was brilliant as Zero. There are some episodes I would prefer to watch more than some of the others, but those Zeroids are the reason that I keep returning to Terrorhawks. She says, in my previous message, I got a little overexcited, but I've settled down now and I'll look forward to hearing the audio adventures soon. And that's from Hannah. Well, Hannah, we love you for your excitement. Yes. And uh, we love to hear how you're doing in the uh, Terrorhawks universe. Absolutely. Let us know how you get on with the audios when you get there and how you, how you feel about that. Because uh, yes. they, yeah, they, I think they are a nice continuation of the series, but they definitely take it in, in a new direction. So you can look yeah. forward to that, Hannah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Paul Hyde says, hi, guys. Uh, just to let you know that when I listen to the podcast and I hear Paul Hyde, uh, read out, my ears prick up thinking it's me until you say Paul Hyder from China. So ah. I know it's not me. Oh, he does say, in case you read this email, uh, you need to say Paul Hyde from the Isle of Wight. Then I know that it's me. Right. Okay, so this is from Paul Hyde in the, the Isle, Isle of, of Wight, not Paul Hyder in China. Oh, wait, we should say Isle of Wight, Paul Hyde then. Because otherwise okay. he might hear Paul Hyde. Um, oh, you see what I mean? Crikey. I see what you mean. But he does say, I think that I'm ahead of him on mentions anyway. Oh. So, well, you are now, because there's another one. So that's good. And finally, now, we do like to consider ourselves a bit of a public service uh, broadcast podcast, don't we? So uh, do we? Terry has got in touch. Yeah, what well, we do now. He says, did you know about the new roundabout rules that come in this week? With the new highway code, it means more safe rides for cyclists and horses in the UK. So that's good news. I did not know that. What? Well, what is the rule? 
Uh, I think it's just stay back, give them lots of room, and don't try and overtake them. Oh. You just stay behind them and give them space. I, I got stuck behind a horse on a walk this morning. Uh, um, okay, yeah. How did that go? a very narrow bit of footpath. Well, the mm. nice lady eventually pulled over and, um, yeah. and let me go past. It was very nice oh. of her. That's not much of a story, is it? Anyway, mm. yeah, okay, thanks for that. Anyway, if you have anything else you would like to uh, contribute, any comments, reviews or thoughts, merch ideas, send them in to podcast at jerryanderson.com and uh, I'll read them out next time. Uh, excellent. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, would you like some, some sort of news to tide you over until we do the next bit? Oh, that would be nice. Have you got some? Uh, I'll try and make some up. Brilliant. Uh, so I'll do that kind of now. It's the Jerry Anderson news, 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 news. Why aren't you saying it, Richard James? It's very disconcerting. <laughs> I just thought I'd see how you coped without me. <laughs> I feel very uncomfortable right now. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. Well, I, w- I wasn't doing it full fledged because I was expecting you to join in. Anyway, yeah. Well. Uh, Farewell Friday is coming back, which okay. means that some things are going away. Ironically, so, right. Every week, or sorry, every two weeks from this Friday, we will be bidding farewell to some T-shirt designs to make way for some new bits and pieces. We've got all sorts of marvellous goodies coming up over the next few months. Uh, So we need to make some space to keep an eye out on the uh, email newsletter for that. Uh, You will have also seen some new Thunderbirds and a new Space 1999 T-shirt design, some very cool emblems that have been beautifully distressed. Uh, Nice. The documentary, Richard James, is oh, not yes. far away now. No, we are, no. uh, in fact, hang on, how far away are we? Uh, two and a half months away from release? Yeah, great. We wondered if you'd be interested in a scrapbook made up of all the uh, the bits of archive research we've discovered during our time making the documentary. So, Potstrons, would you be uh-huh. interested in a Jerry Anderson, A Life Uncharted scrapbook, which would contain images and letters and notes from his personal and professional life from across uh, six decades or more in fact from from his entire life so eight and a yeah, bit decades yeah. Uh, yeah. I would really like to know if you'd see it it'll include stuff that does make into the documentary as well as lots of stuff that doesn't uh, do let Great. us know email us podcast at jerryanderson.com well I'm a yes well there you go Just that's so you one, know. one soul you already that's one. in fact we'll give you yeah. one uh, oh, I didn't say goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> of course. On a similar note, if you are an Anderson <laughs> insider, you will have seen the film poster for Jerry Anderson and Life Uncharted, which has been previewed ah. for the insiders. You can sign up on the Anderson Insiders for as little as £1 a month to Brilliant. get all sorts of extra uh, content and behind-the-scenes information and hear about things before everyone else. So pop along to shop.jerryanderson.com and you can uh, get on there and look on the menu and find a way to join Anderson Insiders for yeah. as little as £1 per month. Nice. Monster from the Deep is the next audio title. It's Stingray Monster from the Deep. Is it? Yes. Uh, Available for pre-order very, very soon. Adapted by our lovely podcast producer, Ben Page. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's based on Stingray and the Monster, the 1966 John Thayden novel. It might be 65. Right. Okay. I remember now. Uh, Anyway, very cool. Mark Silk, uh, Nick Briggs, Wayne Forrester, Jules DeYoung. Uh, ben playing some uh, aquafibians in there as well uh, as <laughs> last time uh, it's Brilliant. a great listen it will be available soon uh, hardback book and the CD version and download available to pre-order from bigfinish.com uh, nice finally for this one we hmm. are looking at doing this live podcast recording on the 15th or the 16th of April are we? Y- yes you know oh. we are 
Oh, yeah. Oh, so goodness me, yeah. do pay attention. Mm, uh, it's to coincide with Standby for Action, the Jerry Anderson <gasps> concert at the Birmingham Symphony Hall. So it will take place in Birmingham or somewhere very, very close by. Okay. But I want to know, Podstrons, if you're going to attend, I'm assuming you'd like to do it on the same day as the concert. Would you like to do a, uh, you know, a po- live podcast recording, say, late morning on the 16th? Or would you prefer mm. that we made it more of an evening affair on the 15th oh, so you can stay over? Uh, and have mm. a jolly. I don't know what you prefer, but do let us know. Email us podcast at jerryanson.com. Your votes will be counted and then enacted. So choose great. wisely. It was great fun last time, wasn't it? Last <laughs> time we did a live podcast at the uh, Space Centre. It was, wasn't it? Fantastic. It yeah. was most enjoyable, so I would love to recreate yeah. that. Uh, we'll let yeah. you know more when we can. Uh, I suspect it will be ticketed, but the uh, the, the ticket price will be pretty nominal um, just to pay yeah. for, pay for the venue basically uh, yeah. and maybe we can arrange some sort of not cheese and wine but some sort of you know biscuits oh. and bread uh, oh, get together tea. afterwards cup of tea maybe plastic tea. cup yeah, uh, no, well nice. no not a plastic cup a paper oh, cup bring your own mug or, or, or bring your own mug. exactly yeah. there you go Perfect. well that's what, exactly what we'll do uh, but yeah. email us podcast at <laughs> and let us know 15th or 16th and also let us know if you're going to come to the concert because if you're going to come up for the live podcast you might as well come for the concert as well surely yes good point yes mm. Mm. anyway look that is probably the end of this week's Jerry Anson News that was the news that was the news in fact it wasn't probably it actually was the end I don't know why I said probably probably the end you can't think of anything else correct <laughs> fair enough uh, now I've been uh, looking at our Facebook group recently lovely bunch of people uh, for example Roger's been sharing pics of his uh, Star Cruiser 1 model very interesting oh. Uh, if you don't know about Star Cruiser 1, Jamie, tell us about Star Cruiser. <laughs> so, Star Cruiser, I believe they thought of a, a series idea around the time uh, it would have been post Space 1999 Series 2. Dad was working yeah. alongside Keith Shackleton, his longtime friend and business partner, mm-hmm. on um, Jerry Anderson Productions and Jerry Anderson merchandising. They pitched Star Cruiser around as a TV series didn't get picked up so they turned it into a comic series instead of comic strip and there was a model yes. kit uh, that Airfix did and um, uh, David Jeffries Jeffries uh, mm-hmm. Jeffries I think uh, was the artist who took on and wrote and drew Star Cruiser uh, and it ran in I think uh, looking for quite a long time 70 plus Did issues you? I think really yeah. wow so there you okay. go great how's that nice was that, was that as much yeah. as you were expecting or too much? Uh, sorry, a bit of a bit more than I was expecting, oh, to be honest. Okay, good. I thought you'd be quick and to the point. But oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Fail. <laughs> uh, also, uh, uh, Willow's been hosting her regular Saturday night quizzes, of course, and uh, Luna's continued with her live streams, including recently a little bit of Space Precinct. Really? Oh, yeah. Which episode? Yeah, yeah. Now, Oh, I can't remember. I wasn't into watching, I'm afraid. Oh, rubbish. Sorry about that. We were out. Robert Monk says that for those that like to own physical copies of things Big Finish, they're clearing their warehouse of their CD stock and have an absolute bargain on the Terrorhawks audios. So, uh, I don't know how long that's going to be there. So, if you're listening to this on Monday, I'd uh, get in there quick. All three copies, he says, for the rock bottom price of £25. uh, And that includes the digital download copies, too. Mm. That's all right, isn't it? For three series of uh, Terrorhawks. That's amazing. Um, Go grab it. Rebecca Andrews says, This is a bit random, uh, but I currently work in retail and today served a customer who shared his name with the actor who provided the voice of Scott Tracy. That'd be Shane Rimmer, of course. It would be. <laughs> he said, I thought, I didn't know whether you were testing me or you were building it up for anticipation. <laughs> he said he hadn't heard of his famous name twin. He was quite young, maybe in his 20s, but I suggested he Google Thunderbirds and check out this podcast. 
Absolutely. So you should. Uh, Jeff Tilly says, eight years ago, the official Jerry Anderson page was celebrating 10,000 likes. And as of today, numbers have grown to 78,529 people who follow the page, including 33 of my friends. So he says it doesn't hurt to share links. Who knows what we will see in another eight years' time? Absolutely. Seven million. <laughs> Why not? Something to aim for, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, Mark Perkins. I don't know if you watch Pointless, Jamie. Here in the UK, it's a, a, a sort of an evening game show uh, where you have to guess in categories uh, items that the fewest people have mentioned yes. when they ask a question to the audience and so on. Beautifully uh, pitched there. Well, yeah. uh, he says that there was one a well-known Colonels on a recent edition of Pointless. The best answer on the board... Uh, only seven people out of a hundred knew it. So I'm going to give you these questions, Jamie. Uh, so here's the first one. US Air Force Colonel, who was the second person to set foot on the moon. Who was that? Uh, wasn't that terrible? <laughs> I'm not yes. sure, actually. Come on. No, I don't know. Can't remember. You know the second man on the moon, surely. I, yeah, but my, you, you, you put me under pressure and now I can't okay. remember. Well, it's, it's Edwin Buzz Aldrin, of, oh, course. Uh, of course. Marlon Brando portrayed Colonel Kurtz. In this 1979 film directed by Francis Ford Coppola, what was it? Uh, Apocalypse Now? Yes, Colonel Mustard is one of the characters in which board game? Pluto. Yeah, and finally, Commander-in-Chief of Spectrum in the Jerry Anderson TV series, Captain Scarlet and the Mr. On. Excellent, it was Colonel Purple. I mean, there Colonel White. Of yes. course it was. And only seven <laughs> out of 100 people asked knew the answer. Wow, there we go. I'm sure yeah. all of them got Buzz Aldrin, which I had a, a massive brain fart yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alex Pass uh, suggests a special guest for standby for action. How about Nicholas Briggs in full costume and makeup as Titan? Come on, he says, that alone is worth the price of admission, surely. Uh, well, sadly, he's already attending as The Hood, so... <laughs> <laughs> now, Ian Allen, Allen has found something uh, for you. He says there's a number plate up for sale on a well-known market site, and I thought Jamie might like this, maybe put an offer in, as he's a big fan of the series, and he can put it on his own vehicle or maybe on a tractor on his farm. Now, Jamie, I know you've just ordered a new car, a new car haven't you? You mentioned that to me the other day. Yes. So um, how about this for a number plate? I know exactly available? what's coming. It's J90. Uh. E-Y-N. Joe90 E-Y-N. How about that? <laughs> well... I'm not sure about the ain at the end, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. Well, and Earl I'm Black okay, says thanks. the more Jamie, yeah, he says the more Jamie says he hates Joe Ninety, the more we know he loves it. Is that how yeah. things work? I, that's the way it is. I think. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I really hate Sunday roasts. <laughs> you see, does that yeah. work? Very good. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Now we know that Tom Holden has really raised the bar with his oh, quick fire fives well, recently. When you say so, Jamie, raised, well, I, mean, I thought. Time for me to have a go myself again. So are you ready for these very special quick five fives? Right, Jamie, these are based on five of uh, Jerry Anderson's different TV series. Would you rather Space Precinct have a new podcast co-host who turns out to be a baddie within the first 10 minutes or help Orin and Romek clean up after the Zwellin? <laughs> I might get a nice chat with Oren Romek while we're doing that, so I'm going to go oh, for the latter. That'd be fun. Thunderbirds, would you rather have to straighten all the palm trees after Thunderbird 2's launch, or have Richard James pick you up from the airport in his Parker the Chauffeur outfit? Oh, well, seeing as I know the second one is a, a really <laughs> lovely thing to happen. The second, please. It almost did happen, didn't it? I picked it actually you up did airport. happen, yeah, yeah. You picked me up from Birmingham I, Airport. I remember, I remember wearing a hat, at least. Uh, yeah. UFO, would you rather have to sew up the holes in all those string vests, or... <laughs> 
empty the ashtrays after one of Shadow's top secret meetings. Uh, well, oh. I feel like I can get the ashtrays done pretty quick, but it's, they're horrible, so thanks yeah, for that. disgusting. Uh, Stingray, would you rather scrape the barnacles off Stingray while it's in dry dock or polish King Titan's throne? <laughs> well, Stingray's cool. I might get a yeah. look inside, so barnacles yeah. for me. And finally, Secret Service, would you rather translate Father Unwin's Sunday service into Unwinese or go back in time and convince Lou Grade to order another 13 episodes? Oh, back in time, 13 more Secret Service obs, yeah. Ah, there you go. Well, well done. That was nice. Yeah. What would you like to have seen in those extra 13 episodes then? Oh, I think I would Just have seen that you know that Bishop give Father Unwin this crazy, amazing vehicle uh, rather yes. than the, the, the yellow thing. Ah, the that, uh, fair uh, rather than Gabriel and give him some more yeah. cool tools and get him into some darker uh, dingier scrapes uh, maybe right. maybe he teams up with Joe 90 and sadly Joe doesn't right. make it through the mission <laughs> maybe uh, maybe that could happen yeah, yeah. who we, knows we, we know you know stuff. Yeah, yeah good there we are that's uh, this week's quick fire five well done Jamie thank very you good. thank yeah. you very much I quite like yeah. that one actually that was good, yeah, that was good. That's nice. uh would you mind if I brought uh, an interview guest in? Uh, no, 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 please do. That's okay, absolutely fine. fine. Yeah, well, sure. he's not my guest. As you may have noticed ah. in the last two episodes, uh, 188 and 189, mm-hmm. it's John Kenneth Muir. Well, he's the Space 1999 fan and author, uh, mm-hmm. writer of all sorts of books about Doctor Who and Blake Seven and all sorts of other things. However, he's also done Space 1999 which is the subject of his first book. He's done those novels, uh, short stories, and uh, his own original web series, as uh, we've talked Great. about, I think, in the last couple of weeks. So yeah. uh, it's time for the final part. That's three of three with Ben's chat with John Kenneth Muir. So tell me about you You started off making these films on video, right. and then you became the nonfiction writer master right. one might almost yeah, say with all this all this writing. That's very nice. Uh, and then you went into going back to your roots a little bit doing some fictional things, including right. a Space 1999 fiction, right? which we should talk about too. So tell me about how you kind of moved back into that world of fiction from nonfiction. Well, in 1999, my wife and I traveled to Los Angeles for the breakaway convention there so that we would all be together with other Space 1999 fans on the night the moon was to break out of Earth's orbit. Uh-huh. And... It was there that uh, I met a number of amazing talents. What was so stunning to me was to realize that my journey was really other people's journey. That so many other, I met other writers who were inspired by Space 1999. I met model makers Uh inspired by Space 1999. I met this incredible person named Matteo Latosa, a musician, a composer, a writer, a teacher, all these things, who was pursuing the license to write space 1999 stories. And he asked me if I would write one and um, it was like warp speed. Yeah. Yes. Right? <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I would have knocked him over by saying yes so fast. And, you know, then we just began to talk about, well, what would that look like? Yeah. What would that story look like? And did you have a story in mind from so, the beginning? Was there one like in the back of your brain from when you were a kid watching the shows? You know, I, I always have had like these sort of, adventures in my mind. I don't know that the Force the Forsaken may have had elements of that, but I think what happened there was Mateo was really looking to sort of do your one stories, your two stories, and then your three stories and, and bridge stories. Mm-hmm. And I said, well let me do a bridge story. 
let me do like the difference, you know, what happened between year one and year two. Now, in real life, we all know the production, you know, right. the, all, all the complications of, of a production the size of Space 1999 right. and everybody with their ideas, you know, let's let's change this, let's do that. But, you know, in universe, why did this happen? All these changes occurred. What was the reason? So, well, let me write that story uh, because, again, going back to a kid, that's the kind of story I would want to read. I, uh-huh. I mean, to me, this was real. Yeah. To me, Space 1999 was real. I would want to know, well, what happened to Victor? Yeah. Uh, why did they move underground? Why do they suddenly have, you know, laser cannons now? Right. And it, and it didn't seem it didn't seem unreal to me that that would happen. It seemed like, yeah, you've been out in space. I'm sure you've scavenged stuff. I mean, you've had, sure. so, you know, yeah, yeah, you've got all this stuff. Use it to defend yourself. So it's like you know, to, to start, like, put together those pieces in a realistic way that takes the universe as a real universe and starts to explain it. And then also, I think, to kind of explain the difference thematically between year one and, and year two, because the thing I became obsessed with and what The Forsaken deals with is that idea, the episode Space Brain. I'm obsessed with Space Brain. I'm just going to tell you that right now. That's a soap suds episode. Yes. I love it, though. I love that episode. You know, and, and I think I mentioned in the um, the Trexperts episode, the, the podcast, the thing that gets me about it is at some point in that episode, the nuclear charges malfunction, like, and like the whole plan that the brain and the alphans have worked on together, like fails because of some malfunction. Right. I think that can't be random. Yeah. Something wanted to kill the brain. Something wanted to use alpha to kill the brain. So right. that became my story. Like what? What? That's like being the background to my yeah. story. Whatever force it is that's guiding yeah. them on their odyssey, right? Might have some sort of other intentions. Exactly, and maybe it's it's not one to the alphans' benefit. Yeah, that's but, really intriguing. I mean, to me, that fascinates me. I know I, I become hinged and obsessed on ideas like that. Uh. You know, I watch and I think, why did that happen? <laughs> uh, and and I love that it didn't tell us I, because I don't think it needed to tell us. It wasn't right. necessarily pertinent to that story, but it became a detail that I had to understand or come up with a rationale for. Mm. And I just love that. But the idea that I got, I mean, Space Brain makes it very clear that organism, that entity is regulating, monitoring some huge, vast amount of space. And if it's dead, that's not happening anymore. And then I thought, that explains your two. That explains your two. That's why so many mm. aliens need resources from Alpha. That 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 explains sort of the weird and wild essence of year two. It's like that control, that regulation is gone. So that that became a that kind of became the background of the story for me. And, and wow. something, it, 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 something like the whole universe like fit together. I mean, granted, yeah. that's my explanation. People can ignore that. Yeah. <laughs> but that in my head, that's what happened. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's it's interesting how this show triggers a sense of scale in your mind. For me, it was uh, Mission of the Darians. Oh, I love that Where you episode. see that huge episode or that huge uh, spaceship that they encounter. Right. And you just go, it's it's so vast. And there's a matte painting where they look out and there's a forest inside the spaceship. And it's... That still astonishes me. That episode just blows my mind. I cannot believe. I feel like there's more than one matte painting. Like the, 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 the real sets, the matte paintings, the miniature. I just think, how did they do that on, on a budget? Mm-hmm. How did they create this? It creates this whole world. Yeah. I mean, I just think that. And the same with Space Brain, you know, right. an episode that doesn't have as much on screen other than a lot of soap suds. <laughs> but it's still that that kind of writing that's that triggers that bigger universe out there. Right. Something that Doctor Who did really well, too. Right. Right. But, you know, Space 1999 for me. And, and I love Doctor Who. Obviously, I wrote a book about Doctor Who. But Doctor Who, I always say. 
you have to like tune your mind to the level like of Doctor Who, like because there's certain things you have to overlook. The thing about classic Who in particular, cl- classic Who. Yes, thank yeah. you for the. Yes, that's exactly right. But like Space 1999, like the visual representation of it yeah. was so astonishing. That's right, it was like it was like instantly photo real. It's like this. This is re- like Peary. <laughs> where, where the heck did that come from? Where did Peary come from? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know that that I've never seen anything like that. No, and still, I, well, now it was in Titan A.E. If you've watched the movie Titan A.E., mm-hmm. they have a planet that is sort of an homage to Peary. Right, um, but I mean, the fact that Peary, the set and the miniature look the same, so connected, it, it feels like a real place, but like a place no one had ever imagined before. Yeah, yeah, it just. Stunning. Not not to put down Doctor Who. I mean, obviously, it was dealing with much, you know, tighter yes. budgetary <laughs> restrictions and yes. such. Yeah, definitely. So, is the is your novel, your Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, standalone, or is it part of a, a series that you're doing? So, it, it's it, it's part of this Powis Media line of Space Nineteen Ninety Nine stories. Uh, there's an episode. Uh, there's an episode, right? See how I think. There's there's a book about like Balor's return. Right. Um, there's a, a, the second book I did, which is The Whispering Sea. That's another bridge story. That one okay. bridges the metamorph and the exiles to explain where. how did Maya go oh, okay. from being alone and crying to being like, oh, I'm the science officer and I'm wearing a uniform. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, and, and, and now I'm in love with Tony Bradeshi. Well, where did that come from? Yeah. So Very interesting. I, I mean, you can read them as standalones, I think. I don't, I don't think you need to read one to understand the other to understand the other. I mean, the, the continuity is such that they don't contradict each other. For sure, Matteo is absolutely fastidious about making sure that that's the case. Uh-huh. But he, he doesn't, you know, it, you, you don't need to have read the previous one to read mine or the, the, you don't have to read mine to read the next one, so to speak. Yeah. And we definitely should take uh, this opportunity to plug your web series, too. Oh, thank so you. Tell, tell me a little bit about it and where people can find it. Well, if it's available to watch. Yes. Yeah, so, so that the house between is what it's called, um, and it aired on VO from 2007 to 2009, 21 episodes, and it is about these five strangers who are very different, who wake up in a house and don't know where they are. And, and they, they soon find out where they are after the first season and that it's this sort of smart house that accesses the multiverse. And, and the idea there is that if you want something that you can't have, the house with its artificial intelligence, which is a lar, the household lar, uh, you know, based on um, Greek uh, or Latin rather. You know, it produces it by pulling it from the other multiverse. Like, so uh, if, if you want, if you don't have a can of soda and you want a can of soda, it'll pull that from a parallel reality and it'll appear here. Interesting. So it's all about sort of quantum reality and physics, and, and, and so it's about these individuals with their different stories, who at first see the smart house as a trap, and they see it as sort of a sanctuary. And then they start dealing with like the larger universe, like other realities interfacing, because obviously the the problem there is if someone is like ripping something from another <laughs> universe for your use, yeah. then it's going to be missing somewhere else. That's, you know, that's one thing, but the house can conjure any reality for these people. Uh, and then there are things outside the house, out dwellers who want to get in the house to, to have, to control that technology. Okay. So again, super low budget. It, we had a great time making it. Uh, I loved writing it. The actors are great, but we were talking, I mean, listen, I'm, not made of money. It was you know five hundred dollars 
you know, an episode, that kind of thing. Yeah. Before we kind of had a stop. I was like, I don't have, you know, now I have a kid. I don't have any money to do this. Right. Um, so they were all on VO. We had the good fortune to be on when there was the writer's strike of 2008. Right. So we got covered by some like big, you know, web websites and things like that. Yeah. And yeah. We, we were nominated for best web production. Oh, wow. And, and we, we lost by less than a hundred points to like a Star Trek production. Oh, it was wow. like a Star Trek of men and gods, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next year we were nominated again. We, and again, we didn't win, but Hey, it was great to be nominated. Yeah. You know, the episodes are all available on YouTube at this point. Okay. Uh, so because I, I don't think they're still available on VO. They, they, they sort of, went out of circulation right, there. Right. Uh, but you know, people still remember it. People still love it. So I hope people will come back to it. You know, we've mm-hmm. we've recorded the uh, the fourth season of it. We won't call it the fourth <laughs> season necessarily. We'll call it something like the house between quantum sphere or something uh-huh. like that. Um, you know, because really, you know, it's a point of access where anybody can enter it. You don't have to have watched Seasons, one, seasons through three. one through three sure. to get it. It, it you know, it, it explains sort of what's happening in its, its own self-contained universe. Uh, I'm, I'm writing the fifth season of it, and we'll record that uh, in May or June of this year. Wow. Uh, and, and it's great to have uh, you know the original producers, the cast back to do it. Uh, it. It's a labor of love. Like, everybody who's involved with it just loves it. But, you know, it, it's black and white. It's low budget. But it's a lot of fun. So we're really excited to see what the next step in that journey, where that will take us. Mm-hmm. So kind of taking a, a bigger picture overview of the of the whole thing. <laughs> so you you know a lot about Space 1999 and Jerry Anderson stuff mm-hmm. in general. How do you think that fits into the the kind of schema of sci-fi fantasy? And also how does it um how does that look going forward? You know, as we move we're long past 1999. Right. I I always say 1999 is not an expiration date. Yeah. That's what I say about Space 1999, because it isn't. And if you look at UFO and Space 1999 and um, Journey to the Far Side of the Sun in particular, those are the ones I know best. And I think that they are so far ahead of their time. I think that, in a sense, they had a real disadvantage. Because like I said, it's the shock of the nude. I don't think people really understood what they were looking at. Mm-hmm in terms of those programs. You know, Star Wars came out as Space 99 was ending and obviously sent the genre in an entirely different direction. But what Jerry Anderson was doing there, it was thought-provoking. It, it, it was intrinsically about who we are as human beings, this idea that wherever we go, resources are going to be limited – Space travel is expensive. You know, that's not something that's ever said on Star Trek. Right, right yeah. You know, the, the reality of space adventuring is the opportunities are few and far between and, and they're very expensive, right? Right, sure. Um, and, you know, it was the idea of us going there and that we would take with us all of our psychological problems and fears and anxieties and that those would impact the way we journey. And again, love Star Trek. Star Trek, though, is we've, we've grown up. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have those things anymore. And when we go into space, we go as, you know, the grown-ups. 
And look, oh, look what your plant's doing. Well, we outgrew that 100 years ago. We don't, sure. eat, we don't eat meat anymore <laughs> or whatever right, sure. it is. Yeah, yeah. Or we don't have petty nationalism anymore, right? Right, yeah. Um, you know, I think that things like UFO and Space 1999 and Journey the Far Side of the Sun tell us, I think, about the human condition that it's not going to be so easy to put those things down. Yeah. And, but it's a bridge to that that optimistic future. It, it is absolutely, and 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 I don't think that these shows are depressing, or I don't think they're against human nature. I don't think they're saying we're terrible people. Hmm. I think what they're saying is we're human beings and we struggle, and that's kind of who we are, and that's yeah. okay. We yeah. can we we can still do these things. There's a kind of honesty to that. There is a kind of honesty to it. It's like you know, you don't have to take away my flaws for me to be a hero. Right. I can, you know, I like Commander Koenig. I would say he could, he, in some episodes, he's just pissy. You know, he just, he, you know he's so, he can get, get so pissy with his, you know, with, with his staff. And so you know, he's just, a, you can just tell, oh, he's in a bad mood. Somebody today. made his coffee wrong. Yeah, and he was I, off for the rest of the day. Exactly, exactly. But it's like, wow, now at 52, I realize, like, yeah, I've had bosses like that. Like bosses sure. who I think are great, yeah. but like don't talk to them at 8 a.m. You know what I'm sure, saying? Right? Sure, you, sure. Let them get that cup of coffee before yeah. you talk. Yeah. You know, there's something very real. And optimistic in that realness, I yeah. think, in something yeah. like Space 1999 or, or UFO, that I don't think people wanted to see in the 1970s, sure. especially in the mid-70s. And you can ask her, why didn't they want to see it? Well, maybe it's because they had a diet of silent running, uh, zero population growth, Logan's Run, Soylent Green, the Omega Man... What beneath a, the planet beneath of the, the apes. Planet of the apes. No blade of grass. It's uh-huh. like, and then along comes space science. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so depressed. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, don't do this to me. Right? Sure. Yeah. And then Star Wars comes along and it's so optimistic. And it's mm-hmm. like, ha, you know, obviously, you know, Space 1999, incredibly provocative, but was able to be viewed as being part of that first aspect. And mm-hmm. people were hungering for something else at that point. I think now it's different. I think that people want those alternative visions. I think that people want more realism sure. in what they're doing and in what they're watching in terms of science fiction. I mean, if you look at something like Firefly, where there are no aliens, right? Or The Expanse, which, again, very realistic. And, and, and that's one of the things that Space 1999 does so well. You know, as I said, that it's like they're worried about things like fuel consumption. Will we make orbit? You know, you got to put on a spacesuit. You know, if you go back and you watch Battlestar Galactica in 1978, um, you know, they have their Egyptian helmets, but no pressure mm-hmm. suits. Right. Right? Um, that you can see. I guess maybe in one episode they did have like some sort of sheer something under there. Something maybe. Or other, yeah. yeah. But, but it's like, ah, well, okay. So, but still, what do you do for atmosphere if you breach the cockpit? You know, right. You know, even going so far as having those little spray cans in on the Eagles in the Space Nine, it's like, oh, we have a breach, you know. Let's, yep. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a long way from the oxygen pills and Fireball XL five, right, right, exactly. You know, so I, there, there's this realism there. there there's yeah. there's this like n- these are the nuts and bolts of space travel, and yeah. I, I think people are interested in a world where that's the beginning, where that's mm-hmm. where we start. Yeah. But then the great thing about Space 1999 was that it had the other end of it. Like, that's where we start, but now look how far we can imagine. Right. We can imagine Peary. We can uh-huh. imagine Dragon's Domain. We can imagine the Space Brain. We can imagine all of these things, you know, 
that is different. We're not going to have a recurring villain every week. You know, the Cylons aren't always chasing us. And, you know, we're not meeting the Klingons again. Right. You know, and, and so it's like every week you're like, what the hell is this? You know, <laughs> something new, something different, something shocking. Yeah. And I, I really like that because I think there was a true ambition of imagination each story that you say is like a little film. It's like a perfect universe unto itself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you don't really have to know, you know, which side are the Cardassians on? Not the Cardassians, but the Cardassians. Or, yes. or who, who, who's allied with um, the Dominion right. this week? It's like there are these people who are very human and very recognizable. Mm-hmm. And they're confronting something they don't understand. And they have to take those things inside of them. Yeah. Uh, those psychological foibles, but also psychological strengths, and deal with them because they don't really have anything. They, they don't have replicators. They don't have yeah. warp drive. Mm-hmm. A- and so th- they have to deal with all those things based on who they are. Yeah. A- and to me, that's a paradigm that I think people are more interested in today. I mean, yeah. I see that of a piece of being something more like the X-Files or sure, yeah. uh, more like the Expanse. Mm-hmm. Things like that. And, and I mean, I think, too, that, you know, we had to outgrow Star Trek's dominance over the culture. Yeah. You know, the, the I mean, I love, again, I love Star Trek. I'm not saying its influence is bad, but I'm saying Space 1999 was like the first show after Star Trek, like first space adventure kind of show that mm-hmm. challenged it. Right. It was the first one. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that comes with so many challenges. Because let's face it, fans are a very proprietary bunch. Yes. We, we like our teams. We like our shows. Uh-huh. And if something threatens that, you know, if someone is out there saying, I'm going to make a Star Trek movie, but we haven't made it yet. But now all the attention comes over to this British import. Right. That has right. fantastic special effects uh-huh. and Emmy Award winning television stars. Well, attention then goes away from right. Star Trek and it comes over to this. Right. So I understand why people didn't like it. But I mean the criticism was cruel and wrong and yeah. ignorant, yeah. you know, and it's like, and, and obviously there's room enough for Star Trek and space. Of course, yeah. Why don't we have both? Isn't that the better universe? Yeah, yeah. It's the better both? universe that we want to live in. Exactly. But now we, you know, I think we very clearly have that because of how television changed, you know, right. we're, we're not stuck to the three networks anymore. Uh-huh. Not. Or even our laser discs. Right. Where it's hard to imagine that now when you can click almost anywhere, shout factory, stream space, 1999, you can find it on Pluto TV. It's all over the place in the U S for anybody who wants to find it. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of new fans have discovered it and they're discovering it without that sort of umbrella of, right. of agony and oppression, which yes. has lasted over the series, and maybe for the first time, really taking it on its own terms. Yeah. And you know, they've seen maybe they've seen Farscape, maybe they've right. seen Firefly, maybe they've seen The Expanse. And so for them, they're not it's not this world where Star Trek is everything. Right. It's a world where yeah. yeah, I like Star Trek, and then look at this thing over here, and yeah. then look at this thing here. What is this that I just found? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and, and so I mean I think I think that's great. Uh so I, I think that Space 1999 and the works of Jerry Anderson are are going to be remembered as being sort of in this golden age where ideas and artistry were paramount and it wasn't yet franchise blockbuster filmmaking. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know how everyone else is feeling, but I know certainly for me as a 52-year-old, I, I'm beginning to feel the limits of that. 
I can't tell you I garnered any enjoyment from Rise of Skywalker, and I grew up with Star Wars and love. You know, sure. I I, I feel very much it's been strip mined. You know, mm-hmm. the Star Wars. You know, there's so much Star Wars, so much. It's like wow, you know, the worst thing to do is to get what you want, because <laughs> right, <laughs> and, and then to be force fed it. You know, right? Yeah, to where you're going to explode ad nauseum, ad nauseum, right? And you know, even the Marvel Universe. You know, nothing lasts forever, and it's riding high now. But there's just so much of it, mm-hmm. and you have to ask yourself, are ideas and artistry paramount there or is it something else? And you go back to something like UFO or Space 1999 or Soylent Green or Silent Running or <laughs> Zero Population Growth. And the ideas are just scintillating and they're first and foremost. And you don't – it's not about, oh, I know this character and they did this and this previous thing and they're connected to this character through here. Right. It's just the ideas. It, yeah. It's just the ideas. And I have to believe as a culture at some point, just like we got tired of Westerns. Sure. We got tired of musicals. Mm-hmm. They didn't speak to who we are anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to get tired of these sort of cinematic universes where everything is sort of this very incestuous connection between characters and it's all kind of a soap opera. And instead we're going to say, well, what, what are the human truths and can I experience stories – about those truths and about yeah. what I think the future might look like. And, right. and not just special effects and set pieces and right. things like that. And, and, and to, inspiring people to move towards their own future, you know, whether that's, you know, an engineer at NASA or right. someone who writes books about Space 1999 <laughs> or someone who sits here and records interviews for podcasts about Space 1999. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's something that we each chart on uh, our journey. And we explore that because of... Shows like Space 1999. I, I agree. And, you know, I, I remember one review that really hurt my feelings at some point a long time ago. <laughs> they said, um, this is a really thorough and detailed book, but the author w- was obviously very young when he watched the show. So he's, you know, he's only enamored it because he was young when he experienced Aww. it. And I thought, oh, that, that's just a way, you know, that's just like sort of, you know, diminishing everything I said. You know? Right, right. right. Yeah, you know, just by saying so. So basically, my viewpoint doesn't count because I encountered what I'm right, showing. Right, right. <laughs> so come on, um, and you know, but I've always thought about that, and mm-hmm. and, and and that's why I, I do go back to space 1999, and and I test it. I say, is there mm. what was I was I right? Is there something there? And I can tell you, I don't know what I'm going to say at age 62. We should we should do a podcast <laughs> then in ten, year, ten years. It, it hasn't flunked the test yet. <laughs> you know, almost 50 years on, it hasn't. Yeah. To me, there's still something mysterious and wonderful and terrifying about it that um, that, that obsesses me. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Very cool. John, if people want to find you or your books, what's, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Thank you. Yes. So you can find me, uh, of course, through Amazon.com. All my books are there. Yep. Uh, just do a search John Kenneth Muir. Uh-huh. Um, my blog is Reflections on Film and Television at Blogspot, but you could just do a Google search on John Kenneth Muir because that's a lot of gobbledygook. Yep. Um, you can find me on Twitter at JK Muir. And um, I haven't really updated my website, my Yahoo website, like <laughs> 10 years. So don't look for me there. I would just say the best way to do it is through Amazon or to do a Google search on me and find my blog. Fantastic. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this interview. Oh, thank you. It's been a blast. I've loved it. I appreciate you being here to see my collection and talk about this with me. uh, Let's go play with the eagle now. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) 
Oh, thank you, Ben and uh, John. Yeah. Much appreciated. Lovely chat. Uh, don't forget you can get John's books on Amazon. Just search John Kenneth Muir. Uh, look at the show notes for his blog. Uh, and follow him on Twitter, JK Muir. That's J-K-M-U-I-R. Nice. Uh, now, next week... Well, I'm not going to tell you what's coming next week, but it's a nice gift. That's all I shall say. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. And, and what about the interview? Um, <laughs> well, who said it's an interview? Oh. That's all I shall say. Okay. Yes. Interesting. All right. So, okay. Uh, oh, we'll just leave that there then. Now, yeah. uh... Do remember, at home, you can subscribe to us on whichever platform you're listening to us on. You can leave us a nice review and a lovely rating uh, to let us know how we're doing and even copy the link to all your socials so your friends can get to hear us too. You can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, hashtag us Jerry Anderson Podcast and we'll see your posts there. You can tag me, Richard N. James, him, I'm Jamie Anderson and him over there. Crikey, he's still going at it. I know, isn't he? he's that, almost down to the last, whole... last centimetre of that gone. chalk. Well, he's gone onto the wall next to the blackboard now. It's oh, crazy. Chris. Uh, that's uh, Chris Dalek over there. Now, people have been commenting on our YouTube channel and on Twitter about uh, the more recent podcasts and fab facts. For example, Don M posted Graves. This is Teresa Graves as Maya. Would have been interesting and uh, bigger than Uhuru of Star Trek as Maya replaced a top-level command character, Victor Bergman, while Uhuru was mainly a back background character like Chekhov and Sulu. Mm. So, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it like that. Uh, James Beach says the Andersons have covered gender equality, racial equality, age and disability equality, but never covered sexual orientation, LGBT. That's something I hope will be brought into the Anderson world, says James Beach. James Beach is already brought in in Gemini Force One. Aha, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Tori Takitani, who's one of the characters in there, uh, is yep. is gay and his partner is mentioned in the... Uh, oh, in fact, it it's becomes a key part of the, the story. There so, you there Brilliant. you go. The Dude says, I still watch this show, 1999, from time to time. The show uh, has... Uh, it's, it's, it's perfect for rebooting, he says, if done correctly, uh, meaning staying faithful to the old material. In fact, even a sequel on their Descendants on the Moon would be great. Ooh. Well... That's nice, isn't it? There's a lot of scope for all these things, isn't there? Yeah, a huge amount. Some of which, of course, you're exploring on uh, on the Big Finish audios. Okay, couldn't possibly say, but yes, perhaps. <laughs> Ian Dealey says, I wonder if John Kenneth Muir is going to get the Big Finish Space 1999 audios. I would definitely recommend them. Well, there you yeah. go. I th I'm I sure he, he will. Has. Of course yeah. he has. Yeah. Uh, Keith Gooch, another great episode of the Jerry Anderson podcast, he says, with all the usual cheeky banter slash gubbins between Richard and Jamie. An interesting... F an interesting fab fact about an alternative casting for Maya in Space 1999. Good second part of the interview with John Kenneth Muir. Good work, Ben Page. And an interesting randomizer review this week with the Thunderbirds episode alias Mr. Hackenbacker. He says, surprised that Chris Dale doesn't like this story. Chris, you're not alone, but it may be a gender thing. The fashion thing was a turn off for me too. Keep up the good work <laughs> and uh, looking forward to next week's episode already. And finally, uh, well, Cool guy 5058 says, I agree with Chris Dale. Most scenes with Lady Penelope are very slow and boring and could completely wreck an episode. Ooh, it's controversial. That isn't is it? controversial. I couldn't possibly comment. Mm. But my favourite comment, really, from this week is from Natasha Romanoff. This is all one word constantly enjoyable. Ah. All one word. It's no also space. one of your middle names, isn't it? Oh, no, no that's, that's, right. that's it's uh, Einstein, I forgot. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There you go. Uh, so, yes, you can see all, I think, just about of our podcasts on YouTube and the Fab Facts and so on. Do comment there as well. I mean, we did uh, a little while ago try to encourage people to move away from YouTube and listen on other apps and platforms, but uh, 
There are the diehards out there still watching on YouTube, which is great. Nice to have you along. So if you comment there, I'll see them too. Uh, amazing. Please do. Yes, uh, yeah. our postrons are amazing. Uh, now, yeah. the thing that keeps them coming back over and over again, as so many of them say, is the randomizer. Yeah. Uh, oh, sure, yeah. Now, Chris is... Ah, okay. So he has finished. Do you know what he was doing? Oh, yes. Now, what was he doing? Uh, he was reprogramming the randomizer. Oh, he was, wasn't he? Ah, oh, it was. The, okay. he, I didn't realise, but the randomizer is in fact programmed using binary. Yeah, it seems like a very long-winded way to do it. But well, uh, yeah, kind of retro though, isn't it? It is. That's that's how all these old retro machines work. Now, let, I yeah. don't know what what he's improved, if anything. No. Um, oh. What? Ah. What is it? Uh, well, he'd realised. He's just sort of mouthing to me. He'd realised yes. that GFI, that yes. awful Jerry Anderson pilot, which no one will ever see, had yeah. mistakenly been included in the programming. Oh, um, I see. Thankfully, I see. he's now worked out a way to remove it. So all is well, everyone. Don't worry, you'll never Relax. have to hear or see that thing ever. Good. Good. Uh, now, let's see what he will be bringing us in this week's randomizer. Chris is going to press his big red button, choose an episode at random, and randomly watch it and say lovely, lovely things or possibly bad things, depending on what he has to watch. Let's hope it isn't yeah. torchy, but it's definitely not going to be GFI. Here's Chris. Oh no, uh, Chris actually, well, and Marina of course, you've been asleep again, Symphony? Yeah, this four hours on, four hours off is sure tiring. Oh, honey. Well, there's no time for an inquest just now. Indeed, you see I was rather hoping I could convince you to press the button on the randomizer today. Yes. Oh, well that was easy, thank you. Of course. You were just so keen and eager to please. Oh, well I do try. Do you think it'll get me anywhere? I don't think so. No, oh, well it hasn't yet. Right, if you'd like to tell us what we have today... Captain Scarlet. Ah. I'm sorry, I feel I let you down. Oh no, no, that's okay. Depending on the episode, of course. Place of Angels. Nothing to be sorry about there, then. A fine episode of the series. Well then, here's Captain Scarlet. Oh, she's, she's gone again. Leading the fight, one man fate has made indestructible. His name, Captain Scarlet. So, welcome back to Captain Scarlet on the Randomizer. The last time we were here was Spectrum Strikes Back, and this time it's Place of Angels. And uh, I'm afraid I've got to open this episode with a little bit of a confession. You see, this is not the first time that the Randomizer has selected Place of Angels. This did come up once before. You may be saying to yourself, I didn't hear it then. Well, because I didn't run with it then. Uh, it came up back in March of 2020. I don't know if you recall March of 2020. It was quite a long time ago. Um, little thing was happening around then, just the uh, the collapse of, of the world as we knew it. Uh, so I felt that proceeding with Place of Angels, a story about a deadly virus potentially outbreaking and killing lots of people, was perhaps not the best move to, to make at that time. And uh, so I, I shelved the episode, um, I didn't record it, I just uh, saw the name come up and thought, nope, I think I replaced it with Expo 2068 instead. So, um, yeah, I mean, in retrospect, probably wouldn't have offended anybody if I'd gone ahead with it, but it just uh, it just felt wrong at that time to do Place of Angels. Whereas now, uh, a couple of years later, depending on who you believe, um, the virus is, uh, is gone forever. Or we'll never be rid of it. So harmless. It may look harmless, 
There's enough K-14 there to kill 10 million people. Meanwhile, we have a nice cheerful opening to this Captain Scarlet episode. These two scientists, Dr. Denton and his assistant, Judy Chapman, working on a virus thingy. This K-14 stuff sounds uh, very useful. Gonna do a lot of people in with that. Finished. I'll just seal the liquid in the file and put it in the safe. Is there no risk of an accident? The file will remain sealed till after the test tomorrow. Nothing can go wrong. Oh, oh, oh no, oh, oh, sorry about that. Uh, let me just, uh, let me just take care of this. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's an alarm. I had that put in just in case of, uh, you know, episodes like this where that line is uttered. I always meant to get around to actually selling it to these shows because uh, I suspect these shows could have done with that kind of alarm. Because there's Captain Black on the scene of Nothing Can Go Wrong Labs as Judy Chapman makes her way out of the main gate, flashing her security pass at the uh, little security light thingy. But I love that. I love that. Um, nothing can go wrong thing. And I've always meant to do some kind of video. I probably never will because it will probably take far too long to make of which is the shortest space of time between a character saying that and something going wrong. I don't think this episode will win, but uh, I suspect it would be, uh, I suspect, reasonably high up in the rankings. I've locked the culture in the safe. Yes, Doctor. And no one is to be allowed in here. And that includes members of the staff. I understand. Even me. I never want to be in this room again. Oh. <laughs> we just held on an awkward shot of the Dr. Denton puppet there. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, Captain Black is driving a fuel truck. He's uh, running uh, ooh, about maybe half a mile ahead of Judy Chapman, and he's going to pull off the road now. Well, as they pull off the road, he's going to kind of pull off the road, swing back round so that he's blocking the road. Of course, it's a dark night, and this is a uh, bit of a blind bend. So anybody coming around this corner, like Judy Chapman, chances are he's going to plough into this Delta petrol lorry. Now Black is finding the optimum position to watch the carnage. Because, oh, there will be carnage. Although, interestingly, she crashes into the... Bearing in mind this is a petrol tanker, and this is a Jerry Anderson show, she crashes into it. But it doesn't explode until after we've seen the Mr. On Rings go across her body. And then it's just... Whoa! And it's one of those explosions that's so powerful it actually shakes the entire model set. And interestingly, I don't believe that this crash actually gets um, mentioned again. You would think that a huge fireball explosion very near these labs would, uh, would come up later during Scarlet and Blue's investigation, but nobody mentions it. teach you. Ah, so, they're in a cryptic mood this week. Not going to elaborate further on what uh, any of that means. But going back to that shot of Judy Chapman and Captain Black standing there watching the uh, the fireball, I always find it quite... Um, it's quite an unspoken element of uh, eeriness in this show, where you see a Mistron replicant watching as their original body burns in a fire. It's, uh, it's quite unsettling if you stop and think about it. Place of the Angels. It means nothing to me. 
Not to me, but it's the way the Mysterons try to confuse us. Spectrum's top agents. That I don't like. Of course. When we're in action, it's not so bad, but uh, just sitting here. And all the time we know that somewhere, somehow, the Mysterons are making plans to carry out their threat. Oh dear. Yeah, the angels don't sound so much like uh, hardened combat veterans and special agents this week as much as they sound like sort of, oh, this is, this is uh, somewhat scary and mildly inconvenient for us. Anyway, Judy Chapman has returned. Her pass card has let her into the, uh, the car park of Nothing Can Go Wrong Labs. Again, nobody near the labs saw that massive fireball. No one's going to record the fact that... Uh, a petrol tanker went missing and clearly blew up along that stretch of road. People must just be going along that stretch of road now thinking, oh, what's all this charred wood and uh, bits of body everywhere? Oh, well, it's not my problem. So now Judy has let herself into the lab. We saw earlier a security guard being assigned to, uh, to protect the lab. He's taken the odd decision of sitting uh, inside the, I don't know, the testing room with his back to these remote control gripper things. And we're now coming up on one of the, the show's more infamously gruesome moments. Very well directed, though, because we're not really seeing the full horror of what's about to happen. As she extends both of those remote control arms towards his throat. Oh, slowly, slowly. And the music is helping as well. And then we don't have to see him grappling with them we just see her swiftly and decisively close the lever clamp around his throat and presumably snap his neck yes we just see the body after afterwards with the uh, the head at a uh, very unpleasant angle and the mistrons helpfully open the uh, the cabinet containing the killer virus colonel could the Mysterons mean by the place of the Angels that they plan to attack one of the Angels' hometowns? It's a thought. Check it out, Lieutenant. Yes, I do. <laughs> Call their families. Colonel, there's a priority message coming through. A bacteriological research center just outside Manchester, England. They're requesting Spectrum's assistance. Right. Captain Blue, Captain Scarlet, on your way. SIG. Yes, sir. I love how the Colonel doesn't even. Uh, and Lieutenant. Yes. Doesn't even wait to find out what the problem is. It's just I'll oh, get rid of Scarlet and Blue. They're sitting at my desk. I hope it gives us a lead. Uh, clearly, I've I've got nobody else working for me this week. Let's just get rid of these two. Manchester, England. Didn't Rhapsody once live there? Yes, but you could hardly call it the place of the angels. Oh. Well, Scarlet's not going to elaborate on his. Uh, his mysterious past, his time in Manchester. Research assistant, Judy Chapman. Doesn't sound like it was much fun. There's an electronic check at the gates. She was the one person to enter the building this morning. Well, we've transmitted a full description to Cloudbase. We'll find her. Yes, but what then? If she breaks that file... Just how dangerous is the K-14 virus? About the deadliest culture ever developed. Hmm. And why did you develop it? Wipe out a city of 10 million people. You seem like a sensible fellow, and yet still nobody is asking or raising any questions about the huge, fiery car lorry crash. On behalf of all the crew and myself, I hope you've had a pleasant and comfortable flight. We'll be landing at New York International Airport in ten minutes. So, Judy has hopped on a plane, and in her handbag... Naughty Files of Doom. This is a nice passenger plane that... Uh, 
I don't recall seeing anywhere again. I suspect it's some kind of redress of... Of something. It's got to be a redress of something. Captain Scarlet, what's your position? We are en route to Cloud Base. Dr. Denton will follow in an hour. Is there any antidote that can be used against K-14? The doctor says no. One will be found, but it would take months to develop. Mm. I see. Well, we can discount that. Interesting that Scarlet and Blue went to England, had that chat with Dr. Denton, now they're flying home. Defense against it. They could have carried out that conversation over the phone, I think. Right. Spectrum Security report that the suspect, Judy Chapman, has landed at New York. Spectrum Security! Ah. Oh. That's great. The name that, uh... Fly directly to New York. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's almost a contradiction in terms, really, but, uh... I, I like the impression you get sometimes in this show that there are more than just the captains on Cloudbase, uh, dealing with things. Angels 1, 2, and 3... Immediate launch. It didn't happen often, and uh, in some episodes, and I think this is eh, this is probably one of them. Ultimately, spectrum security and uh, spectrum efficiency is not exactly a hundred percent this week. But hey ho, that's what you get when you have a uh, cryptic alien aggressors making mysterious threats. I always wonder though with this show where the idea of having the Mistrons make a threat to announce what they're going to attack. Was that done as a sort of time-saving mechanism to sort of get to the, the meat of the story more efficiently? Kyborn, sir. Right. Well, was it, was it meant to reflect some, uh, some aspect of their characters, perhaps? It's strange because in some episodes... This is Spectrum, New York. Suspect has left the airport, driving on Interstate Highway in Saloon. Registration 104X238. Oh. SRG New York. So 104X238, not 101X238, which is a license plate I think we've had in... Uh, the Angels will mail... Part of New York? Three men have just pulled up. Gray Saloon, license number 101X238. But this is a nice shot coming up as, uh, as Judy drives her car along the road of uh, the angels overflying it. Um, I think also there's a lovely publicity photo of the SPV taken on that stretch of road with the angels overflying it. Ah, and who doesn't love SPV collection music? Again, I, I feel for those Spectrum agents who have to man these posts. It's join Spectrum, protect your planet, defend those you love. Dress up as a mechanic and don't actually do anything until somebody comes and asks you to uh, open the door to the SPV. She is still on the interstate highway. We'll be turning onto the highway in three minutes. Yeah, this is definitely the episode that, that that shot of the SPV was taken from. It's a very nice shot. I think it first turns up on one of the uh, TV21 covers. Uh, I, I want to say of... Um, Oh, whatever story it was with the uh, Kilimanjaro Observatory Network. Whoa! Scarlet and Blue have just gone through a roadblock. Oh, Black's still around. Keeping an eye on things. This is Captain Black relaying instructions from the Mysterons. A Spectrum pursuit vehicle is less than five miles behind you. You know what to do. Oh, I love that as well. Well, Captain Black just phones people up to tell them, carry on doing the thing that you already know what you're doing. And Captain Scarlet will have visual contact with her. 
You're taking a tremendous risk. Oh, Dr. Denton has been invited up to Cloud Base. Captain Scarlet is aware of the danger. We can rely on him. <laughs> it would have been great if they'd gone from that quote to that shot of him crashing the SPV through the roadblock. Oh dear. But alas. Alas, no. So now, oh, Judy is pulled over. SPV still closing on her. But she is going to release the parking brake and drive the car, or let the car drive itself, off the edge of the verge, hit a tree. She's gone off the road. And her car hasn't exploded. Yep, they found the one car in the Anderson universe that isn't made of explodium. Come on, let's get down there. Hey. So now let's go and investigate the car. Make sure there's no viruses spilled anywhere. Quite a mess. Yes, and if that file's broken... I'll be so cross. Oh, interesting shot. They've left the SPV door open. Look. There! For any Mistrons to hijack. Yep, there's a load of broken glass and some red fluid on the dashboard. Looks like the file was broken. Although I never... It was only actually relatively recently when watching in, in HD that I never understood what that shot was actually meant to convey. They looked like... Everything ready in cloud base sick bay, Lieutenant. Red crystals to me. ...and will begin as soon as our two patients arrive. This is fun as well. Sealed in an isolation capsule at the scene of the crash. We can safely assume that Captain Scarlet will be immune to the bacteria. But everything must be done for Captain Blue. Aww. Dr. Denton is already at... Poor Scarlet. Supervising the spraying of I mean, poor Blue if he's potentially infected, but poor Scarlet as well. You could cut to him, you know, with blood pouring out of every orifice as the the horrible virus has some unforeseen effect on his Mistron physiology. It doesn't kill him, it just renders him permanently bleeding. But yeah, that was um, an interesting shot there. Having lost the voice actor who plays the voice of our doctor, we now have a rare story where we have a medical situation we need someone to give the, the medical situation, and um, Colonel White has to ask that question of Lieutenant Green while Dr. Fawn is just le leaning on the back of Green's chair. Because he is, and also is not, a character in the show anymore. Commencing test schedule. Oh. Thank you, Doctor. Poor Dr. Fawn. So, Dr. Denton is uh, securing a little uh, testing dome near the site of the crash. They've sprayed all sorts of foam all over the countryside. Captain Scarlet and Captain Blue installed in the sick bay, sir. Thank you, Lieutenant. <laughs> Their automatic software updates have started now, Colonel. Fine, thank you, sir. I love that installed in the sick bay. Dr. Fawn is working on a possible antiserum now. Hey. Any news of the girl, sir? I'm afraid not. She's vanished. We're back to square one. How long do we have to stay in isolation? Well, we'll know in an hour if that broken test tube did contain the K-14 virus. Meanwhile, Colonel White has sent Captain Ochre, Captain Magenta, and Captain Grey out. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Oh no, we're gonna we're gonna act this week like uh, like we're the only agent Spectrum has. Okay. No possible doubt. All the tests negative. Ooh. Are you sure of this? Yes, Colonel. The test tube did not contain the K-14. Colonel sounds a bit put out by all this. Cloud base at once. What happens now, Colonel? We've been fooled again. We must locate that girl. Put out a red alert. I'm going down to the sick bay. S.I.G. Colonel. I need some drugs. Um, where, where, yeah, why are they not using the other captains? I know Scarlet's your man and... You shouldn't come in here, Colonel. It's all right, Captain. Oh, Colonel's wearing his hat. You mean that girl still has the virus? Yes, she's vanished. With enough K-14 to kill 10 million people. If only I had more than two men to do anything. 
three hours. So now? Still no trace, no clue. With that dead end having trace led nowhere? I still can't figure out where the Mr. Ons mean. Our brains trust have gathered round Colonel White's desk again to just remind each other of the fact that they haven't got a clue what's going on. She certainly gets around. Mm -hmm. Reported to be in Miami, Los Angeles, and now Goose Bay, Canada. Los Angeles? Ooh. Did you say Los Angeles, sir? Come on, put yes. it together. An unconfirmed report from a Californian state customs official. That's it! Don't you see? Los Angeles means the angels. Oh, right. Of Los Angeles. Has anyone ever pronounced it that way? Of the angels. We're on our way, Colonel. Oh, see, that's why you should have brought Captain Magenta in on this earlier, because he he did that whole tiempo time thing. He would have got to the bottom of it. But it is very strange. This is a global security organization, but they are behaving in this you know, life and death, potentially millions of people dying, and uh, we're just going to pretend that we've only got two guys. Any further reports, Colonel? Yes, Captain. The suspect has been seen driving away from the city. Even if you just mention them in dialogue, say that, that one is pursuing another lead and the other one's doing this and whatever, just just some acknowledgement. Would be to introduce it into the city. Otherwise it makes the organisation feel incompetent. It's water from the Colorado River. And I'm sure that's not intentional. For the city's main reservoir at the Boulder Dam. I'm sure this is just to make Scarlet and Blue the, the heroes and the focus of the story, which you can still do with mentions of the other captains, you know, following up similarly useless leads. But, uh, no. Not in Colonel White's world. Some weeks we have lots of agents, and sometimes we have two agents. And, uh, there's nothing in between. Anyway. Where's the nearest landing strip to the dam? 30 we're now heading to Boulder Dam. Too far. We'd never make it in time. What do you intend to do? It's a long shot, but we've got to take it. Yeah. Scarlet's got a plan as Judy approaches the dam over the Colorado River. And she's going to take out the virus file. Ooh. And this is a very tense, exciting ending that we're coming up on here. Take over the controls, Captain Blue. Fly over the dam at 500 feet. What are you planning, Captain? I'll have to parachute onto the dam. From Ooh. 500 feet? You'll never make it. I've got to make it. And that's all there is to it. Yeah, this is a nice image as well of the uh, the SPJ cruising across the dam and Scarlet. He's, he's, he has to eject, so his ejector seat is coming down very slowly on a parachute, which obviously makes him a very easy target for Judy Chapman, who of course has a gun because she's a Mr. On now. There it is ahead. Where? Oh, yes, that dam thing with all that water. There he goes. Spectrum. Oh, no. That's something else I love as well when Mr. On agents see a Spectrum agent coming after them, even though they knew Spectrum were after them. Oh, Spectrum! I wasn't prepared for this. Oh, maybe she was prepared for this. She has her gun. And of course, the Spectrum uniform tunics in this show, unlike the CGI show, are not body armour. They are just, you know, cloth material. Oh, he's down. Nice to get this uh, reuse of music from the first episode as well, from the car view. She's raising to throw it. You are too late, Earthman. One move and I shoot. Oh, yeah, a, slight, a slightly derpy looking shot of Scarlet there as you're closing on his face. But he did shoot. I don't think he got her, she just... Uh... Oh, that's chilling. I can't, I can't really explain what happened there. She um, broke her heel when she stood in a sort of grate thing, which uh, caused her to lose her balance. 
she's gone, fallen down the side of the dam, but the vial is on the very edge of the dam. Oh, and this is this is a proper anxiety moment. It's resting on a tiny little bit of rock. Scarlet's reaching for it. His fingers are grasping. He's not really got enough room to manoeuvre. And then his finger just brushes the vial. Oh no! Oh, he's caught it! Oh, every time that gets me. Every time. That just... It's probably the most genuinely unbearably tense moment in this show. But he's got it. He successfully retrieved it and then... Ah! Scarlet, come if in, that Captain was me... Scarlet. If I'd just ret just retrieve the vial, it's all right, Colonel. And then your epilepsy start flashing, the noise starts going, and you've got the Colonel yelling in your ears. I would have dropped that vial. But Scarlet, unlike me, Scarlet is a real man. We're holding on a a glory shot of him for an exceptionally long time. Everything's sorted now, and that was Place of Angels. The uh, city of Los Angeles has been saved. They only have to fish one Mistron woman out of their their waters as opposed to, uh, well, lots of dead bodies caused by the virus. Of course, uh, we know now that uh, people of Los Angeles wouldn't necessarily, or people of anywhere really, they wouldn't all necessarily feel compelled to not drink the water if the, uh, the, the river had been poisoned. A lot of them would be saying, well, I know my rights, I'm going to swim naked in that river. Anyway, that was Place of Angels. And um, there's a phrase that I've come to use quite often with... Uh, with episodes that I feel are good but not great, and that is, it's a solid B-grade episode. I feel I'm in, in danger of uh, overusing that phrase now, but I definitely feel that is a solid B-grade episode of Captain Scarlet. You know, it's nothing spectacular. It is a thoroughly average episode of the show. But I think because the, the average quality of this show is so high, it, uh, it really speaks volumes about uh, just how good this uh, little 25-minute installment of the show is. Also interesting as well that uh, the CGI show would tackle a very similar story in Touch of the Reaper. It's interesting to compare this one and that one, but we're not here to do that today. We're just looking at Place of the Angels, and on the whole, it's another thoroughly enjoyable episode Captain of Captain Scarlet. Captain Scarlet. Love it. Love it. Bum, 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 very bum. Nice. Yeah. Uh, nice one, Chris. Thank you very much. We love a bit of Captain Scarlet. Always. Uh, all that the straight-laced uh, Colonel White, or Colonel Purple, as I was calling him earlier yes. on. Or Buzz Aldrin, uh, or as you didn't call him earlier oh, I'm so embarrassed about that. Isn't that terrible? Yeah. Yeah. I was only... Uh, I saw uh, Mummy A, hashtag Mummy A earlier on, and um, what's that oh, yes. th thing on with Ken Bruce on Radio 2 where they do the, oh, the questions yes. thing? Mm -hmm. Popmaster, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was doing really well today on Popmaster. Were you? Yeah. Okay, you should enter. Go cool on. Shaker and the lightning seeds and all sorts of things today. Oh, well, today. that's your era, yes. Yes, yeah, yes it see. was quite 90s good. slanted. But, yeah, uh, there you go. But you see, I, yeah, sometimes my general knowledge is good and other times it fails me. So how amazing. Uh, Cooler Shaker, that was Crispin Mills, I think, was the lead singer, who oh, was the grandson right. of uh, right. Sir John Mills, one of our most esteemed actors. Is that true yeah. or you just made that it up? Is I shall leave that for you to find out. I'm going to go look it up immediately after this. Uh, there you go. Now, shall we wrap up? Yes, let's wrap up. Okay. Uh, we haven't asked for a while, but please review the podcast. Oh, yes, please. It doesn't take long. Just, you know, no. hit five stars or however many stars yeah. you think are worth. Write oh. a few words that, you know, would make you happy or sad or joyous mm. or mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and uh, submit it. We'd love to see. Yeah. Uh, and we'd love to read them. Uh, yeah. Share it with your chums and email us uh, with with your thoughts on the date for the live recording and if you would oh, yeah. like a Jerry Anderson Life Uncharted scrapbook to podcast at jerryanderson.com That's it. Easy. Oh, is that it? We done? I think we're done. Woof. 
What a relief. <laughs> I'm just mopping the sweat from my brow. Let's uh, bid these lovely podstrons farewell, and we can see them in 191 when we don't have to worry about the noughts or the zeros or the O's. Yes. Oh, I forgot it's about so the noughts. Mm. Oh, oh no! Curses! Oh, I wish oh. I'd mentioned now. Okay, we'll see That's you. Torn it. See you next week, Postron. Sorry. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Stage one complete. Let's go. Got a sneeze coming potentially. Oh, have you? Oh, no. no. You need to look into the light. Does that work with you? Uh, I am. I, I what's they called? A pho- photic, Fo- photo, photic sneeze, photic sneeze, photo, photic. I don't know. I don't oh, it's know. gone now after all that. Oh, you, oh you should, so oh. unsatisfying. It is. It is. But uh, if you if if that works for you, looking into a bright light, yeah, that precludes you from being uh, a fighter jet pilot oh that's a shame i was going yeah. to interview next week i know i know i know so it's not going to work no okay well no. I, I, that's really good to know anything else yeah. uh, medical that you can let me know that precludes you from things well it doesn't preclude you from anything but only some people can roll their tongues uh, I, but I don't now, think that stops you being a fighter pilot i heard a thing can you roll your tongue yeah so if you do that Actually, I'm, I'm doing it now that's you, it isn't it you poke it out yeah and you touch the left hand side of your tongue with your left hand on that side of your body where do you right. feel the sensation? On oh, my tongue? Yes. Well, That's a lot of people, my, e- even hmm? though it's now on the left, they feel it on the right-hand side the of right. the tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, get that yeah. or it's not? Like, it's, like crossing, it's like crossing your fingers, isn't it? Yeah, then yeah, touching. It's interlocking your fingers and then someone touching. I mean, this is, touching this finger. is, this is really way off. not it's way interesting off now, at all. Uh, should we just stop talking? Uh, it's just because it's getting awkward. Isn't yeah, it? it's, t- it's also difficult to talk when you're touching your tongue on the wrong side. So, yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm kind of, all right. Okay. okay. See you next week. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Jerry Anderson Podcast. Wasn't it fun? You have been listening to an Anderson Entertainment production.